Hi, I'm Tracy. I'm April. And, and this, this is Killer Spirits. we're actually recording this time are we actually recording this time <laughs> is it moving you guys we're having issues today <laughs> oh my gosh we have so many issues this is what happens when you take a week off april um uh, we come I, it's i'm all over the place yeah honestly but i will repeat myself though no one actually knows because i didn't hear it the first time <laughs> <laughs> it's fresh to you it's fresh it's all fresh to you guys we got new microphones and new they're microphones. so nice and shout out to jeremy my brother because he actually knows this stuff he actually owns a business doing this sort of thing. Thanks, Jer. Thanks. And he You told really us, saved us because I only halfway know what's going on. I don't even halfway know. I less than halfway know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm really excited about these. They, the sound quality is way better. So, so much better. I'm sure you guys, guys can tell. Yeah, I hope you can tell because everything we do, we do it for <laughs> you. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we took last week off. It's April's fault. You can blame her. She had to have a vacation. We had a very good vacation. I don't even understand you. <laughs> I think you do. I think I do. So um, she's well rested. Yeah. And she's back with a vengeance. We had a great time. It was nice to get out of town. It's always nice to get out of town. And not work for a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice. And the weather was beautiful. I'm so glad you went. It rained a couple days, but it was fine. And you were in a tent out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it did survived. rain. It rained while we were packing up the second day. Oh. But we were staying in a hotel the third day. Oh, good. So it wasn't that bad. Rain doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah, unless you get so. like wet and cold or something. Yeah, it was kind of cold, but not like icy cold. Oh, good. Because it was the beach, so. That's true. It was like kind of cold, but wet anyway. Well, she's back and she's here. We're back. With new microphones. With and new microphones. We're excited. And, and I rearranged the studio. Yeah, actually, I was going to mention this. My view is completely flipped. Yeah, you get to see the painting now. It's, so it's very odd to me because, you know, you get used to having like your little groove and now everything is different. So I have to get used to this new setup. I mean, you have a better view. You think so? Yeah. Wow. You get to see the GM painting. That's true. GM. Grandma Marion. <laughs> So I'm excited about the drink today. Uh, we have a. I'm excited about the story. Today. We have an interesting story yeah. happening. I just want to say that the vampire of Sacramento lives in my head rent free. It's um, disgusting. I for think too long. Also, we needed a week off after those stories. <laughs> I had multiple people stop me and tell me like, "Okay, the last story you did was, it was horrific. It was yeah, I did yeah. too. Yeah, I know it, it was it was rough to get through for me. Um, still not eating eggs." With oh, yolk no that's yolk. runny. I'm just letting everyone know I still can't do it. She's off the yolk. I need a, I need a little more space between me and that guy. So, yeah. yeah. I actually was going to say something else about dinner last night, but I'm not going to even say about what I was eating, and it made me think of the story, and what? then I was like, uh. So we had sausages. <laughs> and actually, it's a really cool recipe. You stuff the sausages with, like, string cheese, and then you put Alfredo on it. Okay. And it's supposed to be really good, but as it was on my plate, it kind of reminded me of Vampire of Sacramento. 
And then I really lost my appetite. Yeah. So I don't know. It could be a good dietary aid. I'm not actually <laughs> sure. Just read the book. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, You'll lose some pounds. There you go. Or That's listen funny. to the episode. It might be enough for you. <laughs> yeah. So today is a little, you know, we're doing a little bit more historical. There is. It's a little less gruesome. There's definitely, well, uh, yes, I will say that. That's true. Less There's graphic. definitely a murder in there. Um, but yeah, this is, this was, uh, more enjoyable for me to actually research. That's good. (laughs) And you made a really fun drink. So make sure you tell us about it. So today's drink is called the antidote. It is called that because Dorothea Dix is one of the people you're going to talk about. She was a mental health reform advocate. advocate. Yeah. Um, and one of her quotes is every evil, every evil has its good and every ill an antidote. So I thought I'd go with the good and evil theme. I like it. So our evil part of this is the pepper vodka. Yes. Hot spicy pepper vodka. And the good is the apple cider because it's nice and sweet. And so this is the recipe. This is for two drinks. Uh, two ounces of spicy vodka. There are a lot of different ones out there. <laughs> I think the one we used Bless is you. French. <laughs> that was a cough. The pepper really got to me. It, it's a little peppery, but not overly, because I don't like real spicy, and it's not bad for me. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the pepper one that we used. Aleppo pepper? It's like, it, it's French. It starts with an A. <laughs> it's like L'Esparel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm Something. saying it wrong. Our French listeners are going to scream I don't know. Us. Jason buys it. He actually uses it in his Bloody Marys. Oh. So he likes the pepper vodka. So yeah. if you like Bloody Marys, try pepper vodka. It actually tastes really good. But I think that... Um, Stoli might have one, but I think that, oh, what is the brand I'm thinking of? Absolute has one. Oh, okay. That's like pepper flavored. So anyway, hot pepper vodka or tequila or really anything else you want to use. Yeah. Um, Four ounces of apple cider, a half an ounce of fresh lime juice, a half an ounce of agave syrup. And then um, before you put all that in, you put in some sliced ginger in the bottom and muddle it just to get some of the ginger juice out, which just gives it like a, I don't know, it makes it a little bit like aromatically hotter, mm-hmm. not just like spicy on your tongue hot. Right. Um, and then shake over ice. And then we garnished with um, some apple slices and a Thai chili pepper. It's so cute. And I also put some apple blossom bitters in there because so our story takes place in West Virginia today. And West Virginia is known for their golden apples yeah and the apple was very golden and um oh just a little fact about golden apples okay uh the golden delicious is the second most popular apple in the country and the golden delicious was named west virginia state apple in 1995 i had no idea yeah west virginia is very well known for its apples yeah, and honestly, I can taste the ginger mm-hmm. that you did a little muddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and I'm not a huge ginger fan, to be honest. Sometimes I'm like, if it has ginger in it, I'm like, forget about it. <laughs> but this actually tastes really good. I have a very slight taste of the ginger, but not overly gingery. It's very subtle. It is. It's a really good drink. Thanks. And I think that the um, the little club soda stuff you put on the top. Was oh yeah, good. I forgot. I topped it with Topo yeah. Chico. Topo Chico, is that Topo how you say it? Chico. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically like you mineral could put, water. Yeah, you could put sparkling water or something. I think it needed that to cut it a little bit. It's delicious. Yeah, I think it would have been way too heavy and sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely taste the sweet and I can definitely taste the spicy. That's the good and our evil today. That's our good and our evil. And this is the antidote. <laughs> yes. I love it. 
Okay, so today we are actually going to talk about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which is in West Virginia. Mm. And I didn't really know much about this place. There, Maybe many of you out there do know about it. Maybe you live in West Virginia. Yeah, maybe. And if you live there or near there, I'm sure that you know all about it because right. it is now open for tours and that sort of thing. So um, there's... You get on YouTube, you're going to find a gabillion T people who have gone through and they film it, which I always love to watch those because they're kind of fun, you mm-hmm. know, very, very creepy now, which of course I love too. So please put this on our list as a place we're going to go to April. Do they make it extra creepy? I, they don't really know. They don't have to. Oh. No, it, you're just basically walking through the actual hospital. It's Some, some of it's in ruins, so you can't go to all the parts, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of it you can. Oh. Yeah. And okay. it's just it's just there. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my sources first. Um, there's a couple good books I found I really liked. One is by Edward Gleason, and it's called Lunatic. And no, yes, it's called, what am I saying? No, yes. Yes, no, uh, good and evil, <laughs> spicy, sweet. <laughs> okay, it's called Lunatic, The Rise and Fall of an American Asylum. And there's another one by Sherry Brake. The Haunted History of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. And there was this really good article I found by someone, and I'm, I'm sorry if I butcher your name, Troy. Troy Rondinon. Rondinon. Okay. And it's called A Cultural Historian Explores an Old Mental Hospital and Why They Scare Us. Oh, that's interesting. It was very. It was an interesting article that he wrote. So um, I'll talk about some of the stuff that he talked about, too. I guess the why they scare us is yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it is something that really um, kind of speaks to people. They want to, I mean, that's why we have haunted houses with, you know, that are basically asylums, you know. It's scary. I and it's the unknown. literally cannot do a haunted house. At all. Uh, no. No. I really I think can't. you get to a certain age and you're just like, what? Well, no. it's like, you know, there are people, like, you know, working there. And my brain can separate that, <laughs> that these are actors <laughs> Um, but also like I've been known to throw hands at people. <laughs> so I also don't want to go to That's jail the real problem. for like hitting somebody, even though I know in my mind they're acting like my fight or flight kicks in. I see. Yeah. You're a fighter. Fl- my, I always flight. You fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, unless it's a bear, then I'll fly. Oh, that's good. At least you have. You have some standards or some. Uh, <laughs> I have some sense. What was I going to say? Borders or whatever. Oh okay. Um, so the word asylum used to instill confidence, safety, and security. Oh, seeking asylum. Right. So now the word asylum means something much different to us. But, I mean, really, it's all in the sentence. She needs asylum or she needs an asylum. <laughs> I oh, mean, no. if you think about it. So, one is very different than the one other. Is very, yeah, one of these things is not like the other. So if a person receives political asylum, that's a good thing. And right. we do still use that term. But um, but if they're in an asylum, that's not necessarily a good thing. No. So how do we even come up with the word asylum? I thought this was very interesting. Asile comes from French, which is via Latin's asylum. Latin, in turn, took asylum from the Greek asylon, which means a refuge or sanctuary. Okay. And this word is formed from the adjective asylos, which means safe from violence, inviolable, invaluable. I can never say this word, people. In 
viable. <laughs> Forget it. I think you did pretty good. Okay. Or seeking protection. Right. And the root word Cylon means the right of seizure. So adding the A in front of that, asylum, mm-hmm. means without. So basically you have no right of seizure. Okay. And this seizure part doesn't apply to like having seizures. It applies to like merchant ships in ancient Greece, specifically removing the armor from a slain enemy. And it later was extended to the right of seizing the ship or cargo of a foreign merchant to cover losses received through him. Hmm. So interesting. I never knew that about asylum yeah. and how we got that word. So there you go. Wow. It is supposed to mean like protection or sanctuary. Right. So in the 17th century Europe, people behaving oddly were considered to be possessed by demons or witches or even by Satan himself. And of course, treatments were brutal. Yeah. We know that. It was common to drill holes using something like a corkscrew into a person's skull to allow the evil spirits to escape. Yeah. (laughs) Is that terrible? That's disgusting. Yeah. And of course, you know. People who are thought to be possessed would be publicly hanged, burnt at the stake. And, of course, that was, as we know, a very large spectator sport. Yeah, everybody <laughs> loved it. People love to come it watch that. Wasn't a problem that. at all. Not a problem at all. So worldwide, over 200,000 people, mostly women, were executed during the witch hunting craze of the 16th and 17th centuries. Wow. I didn't realize the number was that high. No. It's huge. So in the, se- in the 18th century, there was a bit more scientific knowledge. Okay. That came into play, which kind of tempered a lot of the witchy, possessed worry that people had. But the treatment of the insane was still really brutal. As the population grew in America, those who were deemed insane would just be incarcerated. There was no specific place for them. Oh, okay. They were just put in jail with all the other, like, really bad criminals. criminals. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, which means that there was no therapy. Right. They didn't they didn't think about that. The conditions were horrific. They were chained to walls and dungeons, left unclothed. For some reason it was commonly believed that insane people could not feel hot or cold. What? Exactly. That makes no sense. And they would just be covered in their own filth. Oh. So if you had someone in your family who was exhibiting signs of insanity and they weren't incarcerated, you would stash them in the attic or the pig pen or even mm-hmm. a hole in the ground. Yeah. In the 1770s, we did start to build facilities specifically for housing the insane. And I'm going to use the words throughout this lunatic and insane because that's the words that were used then. Right. We don't really use the word lunatic anymore, obviously, but back then they did use the word lunatic. So I'm just letting you guys know. But these were still places that we're basically we're just removing you from a society mm-hmm. we just want you out of here yeah we're not trying to rebuild rehabilitate you we just we're don't not want trying you to bother to, anybody we just want you out of the way because yeah. you're scaring us so um it was believed that insanity was a choice and incurable okay also for a fee you april as a high society smartly dressed woman could entertain yourself by touring the local insane asylum Okay. You could look at all the chained up people and even poke them with a stick or the tip of your very fashionable umbrella. That's weird. What a screaming good time that would have been, right? Why would you want to do that? Entertainment. They didn't have smartphones. Oh, my God. (laughs) They had no smartphones, so they had to do something with themselves. 
I guess. I guess. I don't, I don't really know. But yeah, just, it was a thing. I mean, it'd be so much easier just to not do that. I just don't understand why you would. <laughs> they had a lot of interesting entertainment yeah, back they then. Did. The late 18th century, called, which was called the Age of Enlightenment, brought some changes with it. Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was a founding father of the United States. Did you know, actually know he had a signature on the Declaration of Independence? I didn't. Okay, well, now you know. Hmm. He was an early opponent of slavery and capital punishment. And he was also a physician and an advocate for the compassionate care for the mentally ill. Hmm. He was also an advocate for developing theories as to what causes mental illness and how it can be treated and cured, which was very interesting for that time. I mean, yeah. His theories and treatment border upon the bizarre today, (laughs) if you read some of them. But he's still considered the father of American psychiatry, mostly for his humanity rather than his conclusions. I mean, he was working with what he had, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he believed that mental illnesses were caused by irritation of the blood vessels in the brain. And his treatment methods included bleeding, purging, hot and cold baths, and mercury. And he invented a tranquilizer chair and a gyrator for psychiatric patients he thought that if you gyrated enough it would help your blood vessels open up so there was a lot of gyrating patients out there but i mean it might get your blood pumping yeah but he was horrified by the treatment of the mentally ill and he like i said he his humanity that's what he's known for so and again i've mentioned dorothea dix before i think it was in the joliet prison episode Oh, Either okay. that or I read about her. I can't remember, but I I, I feel like I did um, talk Mention about her. her. So I'm so glad that you made your drink based on her. So she also was a huge advocate for the improvement, the improved treatment for the mentally ill. In 1841, when she visited a local jail in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, she was really appalled at what she saw. The insane were thrown in amongst like homicidal people like murderers she was shocked to observe mental cases chained naked to stone walls in filthy cells without heat or ventilation so that experience really inspired her in what would be her lifelong crusade to improve the treatment of mentally ill yeah. so she pretty much spent her whole life the rest of her life doing that so with the help of family connections she managed to gain the attention of the boston press and the resulting public outcry shamed the Massachusetts. Ma- <laughs> Just say it. Massachusetts. Thank you. State legislature. Legislature. Okay. What is in this drink, April? <laughs> it's just spicy. Yeah, it's spicy. I actually ate one of the gar- the apple garnishes and it soaked up all the spice. Oh, are you serious? It was hot. Okay, I'll have to try it. <laughs> okay. The Mas- Massachusetts State Legislature. She shamed them. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Into authorizing funds to improve the dreadful conditions that she well, saw. That's good. Yeah. So she, I mean, she did a make a lot of changes. Finger wagging. Exactly. Shame on you. Uh, the mid-1800s brought a spirit of reform with regards to mental illness, and asylums were places of healing and respite. Okay. So people committed would experience rest and fresh air and hydrotherapy. Okay. Superintendents of the time would publicly say that the days of chaining up mad people in the basement was a thing of the past. Well, that's good. And I mean, they didn't really do anything wrong. Who? Oh, you mean the people? Yeah. yeah. I was like, chaining people up is wrong, April. No, no, no. 
I, mean, I they see what you're saying. Really do anything to deserve it? No, not at all. I mean, if they're not homicidal, right, right, and even so, they probably need treatment. Yeah. Some of the people. Yes. Yeah, so that was a thing. That was the public thing. You know, this is that these are different now. You know, our asylums are for therapy. Helpful. They're help- of harmful. Full. That's that's the story anyway. Right. And they did not operate under cover of darkness. Tourists were actually encouraged to come. Postcards were sold. Many asylums had their very own newspaper that was published. Okay. Charles Dickens, who you know is my favorite, <laughs> he traveled over the pond to see us in 1842, and he visited a few of our fine asylum establishments. Interesting. <laughs> I say fine very loosely. So they're but, more like, um, like boarding homes or something. Yeah, some were even semi-orphanages, as we'll see. Oh, and okay. so Dickens wrote that he could not properly ascertain a nation's character without seeing how they dealt with their insane, which actually is a very good it's a statement. Pretty good indicator. It is. He's a very smart man. Well, was a very smart <laughs> man. Dickens later wrote that he was unimpressed by Blackwell's Island Asylum in New York, but found the Connecticut retreat for the insane in Hartford, quote, admirably conducted, and the Boston Lunatic Asylum to be a place embodying enlightened principles of conciliation and kindness. Well, that's nice. So he visited quite a few asylums in his time. And this is like before medication was correct available at all. Correct. So it's just people helping people. I and guess. trying to do some wacky therapy with them. Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. Many state mental hospitals were built in the design championed by Thomas Story Kirkbride, who founded the precursor to the American Psychiatric Association. So his popular idea was that space, air, and rest could cure most cases of mental illness. Okay. So the wings, when I say wings, I'm talking about like the building wings, you know, like the wing of a building. South wing. Yeah, south wing. The wings of the building were set back in a staggered pattern to facilitate maximum light and air into each ward. Okay. And the grounds were planned with pleasant walkways, (laughs) lawns, and fish ponds. So that was very important. Kirkbride was known for his compassionate treatment of the mentally ill and was the superintendent of the Department of the Insane of the Pennsylvania Hospital. So over 100 facilities were built with his vision in mind. This is a popular vision at that time. Oh. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a nice place to be. It does sound that way. Yeah. (laughs) In 1858, the governor of Virginia was like, my dudes, listen, we need a third asylum because we are really overcrowded. The overcrowding in Williamsburg and Staunton was terrible. Oh. So they wanted to build a third one. So like, they're like, here's all your air and light. Go outside. Yeah. We're overflowing. We are absolutely overflowing. You sleep outside now. Yeah. So a report at the time stated there was 922 lunatics and 945 idiots in the state of Virginia I'm, I'm just reading what it said. I know I'm telling you it's terrible. What do they classify as an idiot? I don't know. What's the difference between a lunatic and an idiot? And maybe if you were developmentally I mean, disabled. Yeah. I don't know. I'm telling you it's terrible. Okay. Yeah. So please don't come at me. Okay. I'm literally <laughs> quoting. <laughs> I know it's awful. It's just we're not better than they are. We're just born at a different time. <sighs> okay. That's all. Yeah. I know. I know. Okay, a report at the time say there was 922 lunatics, 945 idiots in the state of Virginia, and the existing facilities were woefully inadequate. Oh, okay. Okay. So basically, they had a lot of people who needed care. 
allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. So the new asylum was to be established in the outer reaches of the state, west of the Allegheny mountain chain, a trans, which would be the trans Allegheny lunatic asylum. So I, this is, I'm going to refer everyone back to the books because especially in Sherry Brake's book, she will go into very deep detail about uh, the whole bidding about where this asylum would end up. Uh, Dorothea Dix had a say. She actually didn't like where they ended up putting it because there was no railway close and she felt it was too isolated um, because she used to actually come in and, and give her opinion on certain things like this. And so there was a lot of political things around this and it ended up being where it is today because of the politics interesting and also remember west virginia was not a state yet right it was still just virginia it was still just virginia so the state purchased 269 acres for just under a hundred thousand dollars and the hospital or asylum was designed to house 250 patients Okay. okay, so just remember that. So the estimated cost was just under $400,000, which seems so mind-boggling today. <laughs> the first, the very first laborers brought in to clear the site were, of course, African-American convicts. I feel like that is exactly what happened with Juliet, if you recall, mm-hmm. Juliet Prison. And they were sent by Governor Wise from Richmond in October of 1858. A few months later, eight of the 23 convicts came up missing and were headed to the free state of Ohio because duh, I would too, but they were recaptured and then they had to build their own blockhouse that was more secure. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry guys. You're going to have to build your own prison now, which is basically what they did in Juliet too. I mean, they had to build their own prison. Did they make it easier to get out of if they built their own prison? No, no, no. They're being watched. The blue sandstone used for the asylum is indigenous to the area. So they didn't have to go far for that. It was easily accessible and easy to work with. Thomas Thomas Kirkbride was present many times during construction to oversee the progress. So they would bring him in to consult and look over the plans. The Trans-Allegheny Asylum is still considered the largest hand-cut stone building in the Western Hemisphere. Interesting. It's gigantotor. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. So how is that so huge and it only was for 250 people? Well, I think they added on to it as oh, years went by. They okay. did add on. Gotcha. But even at the time, it was quite large because hmm. it was supposed to be open space and air. Remember? Oh, that's true. You know? And they got a lot of acres. They have a lot of acres. Like a, a lot. fuckload of acres. Right. And we'll see why. Because it was supposed to be self-sustaining. They had a farm. There was a lot of stuff happening. Like, they that's really smart. were supposed to be a city unto themselves. And that's also efforts to rehabilitate the people that are there? Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's allegedly. Yeah. You can, like, learn how to do something. Yeah. It keeps you busy. True. That right. is true. Activities or whatever. Yeah. The walls were filled with bricks, all of which were made and fired on the grounds up to 20000 a day. Wow. That's a lot of bricks. Yeah. Recent immigrants from Germany, Ireland, and Italy arrived bringing their skills as masons and carpenters, and many others of many others from the surrounding states also came through to start working there. I mean, that that gave a lot of jobs to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. California minded fortune seekers, people on their way to California during that time. Mm-hmm actually detoured and went to Weston to help work on the asylum. And 
many of them actually stayed there and their families still live there. Wow. So they would have they would have come on to California, but they're like, whoa, there's a job here. <laughs> it's fine. You, you're probably glad that you still live in West I would Virginia, think so. not California. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so like I said, their families still live there, which I think is kind of cool. By the late spring of 1861, the asylum was far from complete, but there was a section that had a roof on it. So it was ready to receive some patients because okay. they were like, we need to get people in there. Yeah. But then June 1861 happened and Civil War hit. Yeah. It's hit Virginia. And the asylum was still in the early stages of being built. And I'm not going to go into all the history of the Civil War and how it really ties into the asylum because I really do think you should read the books. And it'll they both talk very well about the history of the Civil War, how it affected the asylum. I mean, they used the asylum during this time. There was some money exchanging that happened that if did not happen, the asylum probably wouldn't be here. Hmm. So I encourage you to read it because it's, I mean, it's pages and pages of history that I, we don't even have time for. Right. Okay. Everything can't be a two-part episode. <laughs> no. And nor should it be. <laughs> so, yeah. And also it talks a, a lot about this is the time that West Virginia became its own state, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And, of course, the asylum was smack dab in the middle of all this history. And utilized a lot during the war. In the winter of 1866, there were 45 patients at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. They occupied the finished and southernmost wing along with the superintendent and several employees. And there were patients of all ages and quote-unquote types of insanity. Hmm. One, this actually breaks my heart, one was an 8-year-old boy who was dumped at the train station in Clarksburg by his mother. She said he'd been insane since he was age three. Goodbye. Okay. That is crazy. Yeah. My child is eight. I can't even fathom doing that. Just leaving no. your child. The oldest patient was 93. By the fall of 1867, construction was nearly complete on the two three-story sections, making up the southern wings, and it was to be furnished and ready by April of 1868. And at first, the lighting was provided by oil lamps, which, you know, is not safe. (laughs) But eventually, gas pipes were fitted. And there were two producing gas wells on the property that would supply enough fuel for all the needs. Mm -hmm. So that's why they need a lot of land. There's a lot of stuff happening there. Right. And it was interesting because they were discovered accidentally during an effort to secure more water by boring into deep wells. They found these gas wells, so... That was interesting. The water supply was a big problem because the only natural source of supply was the West Fork River, which was like muddy and sluggish. So a large reservoir was eventually constructed on the high point of the hill in the rear of the property for storing water. By 1868, the number of inmates increased to almost 200. In September of 1869, Local newspapers complained that there were 75 insane persons waiting for admittance in nearby county jails, and too much time and effort was being spent on decorative hallways and fish pools instead of creating more bed space. Come on, staff. Get it together. Yeah. That was the thought. Right. So there's a whole article about that. In 1872, Thomas Camden took over as the superintendent, and his first order of business was figuring out how to care for the African-American community. So up until that point, there had been um, 
you know, multiple, um, I don't know if it was necessarily applications. I'm not exactly sure how they would have received people, but there was referrals or something requests for African American patients. And they were always turned away because even though the emancipation proclamation had freed the slaves segregation. Right. So they were like, no, we're not going to mix, you know, the people. Right. You know, and even Kirkbride himself, who was, who, basically brought up this plan about the mentally ill and was known for his humanitarianism. He himself had written that quote, colors and classes should not mix Mm. unquote. So before they could allow it during that time, they had to build another place. So they did. He oversaw the construction of a new brick building, which was exclusively for black patients. Hmm. So that started. Not the best uh, thing to talk about with history, but it's fucking true. We're talking about it. Yeah. So in that's eight- what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. So in 1881, Trans Allegheny was completed. It was nearly one quarter mile long and contained almost 10 acres of floor space. That's big, yo. That's really big. <laughs> A 200 foot clock tower crowned the central section and six lower cupolas decorated the wings and i'm gonna post pictures too um it is very castle-like yeah it sounds like very castle-like the sandstone walls were two and a half feet thick backed inside by brick and then plastered it had nearly a thousand windows wow that's a lot of window washing yeah (laughs) and it would bring the sunlight and the air fresh air in that Mm. was the point but it was also fitted with iron bars to keep residents from getting out. Right. <laughs> you can only have so much sunlight. Or people okay. from getting in. Or people. Well, I don't think people really want to get in. No? A full basement, uh, which used to act as the stable, but it no longer was, ran the length of the structure and beyond connecting it to auxiliary buildings. And I did read this thing that there used there possibly there's no actual evidence of it today. But there's a lot of different references that there was like a little train track under there that use they used to like use to get supplies to each of the areas of the buildings oh like in the basement to move it faster yeah oh. i thought that was kind of neat but those are obviously gone yeah it also had a fully functioning farm by 1880 one year before its completion completion the asylum housed over 700 people wow that's a far cry from 250 people that's a lot more than 250 people yeah most of the patients who came over had already languished in jail for years. Yeah. So were they happy about going there? Who knows? Better than jail? It possibly at the time, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really know that. I mean, maybe some were, some weren't. In 1913, the name changed from the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum to the Weston State Hospital. Okay. Many superintendents of that time period changed the name of asylums to hospitals to try to Beat the bad publicity. Right. It didn't really work. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still call them hospitals today. Mm-hmm. The name changed back again to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in the 90s after it was closed and sold for tours. Because it sounds cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. But it wasn't called that for many, many years. So let's take a look back at a few of the reasons why people were admitted in the late 1800s to the asylum. This should be interesting. And these are just a few of my favorites. There, there literally was like five pages, but I just have to read you some of these. Imaginary female trouble. 
jealousy, menopause, mm-hmm. grief, novel reading, bad whiskey. What? Jason, you screwed. Don't, <laughs> eat, no, don't have bad whiskey, boy. <laughs> Egotism, tobacco, and masturbation. What? And then when I say it, I'm, those two were together, not separate. It wasn't tobacco and then masturbation. It was tobacco and masturbation. <laughs> okay. Parents were cousins. That's, that's well, bad. You know. Seduction. Female disease. Death of sons in war. What the fuck is which female is, disease? Exactly. It's just a catch-all for any fucking thing that's this wrong with a woman. Disease of being a female? Yeah. The okay. death of sons in war sounds to me like it's grief. Grief, yeah. Disappointment. <laughs> Doubt about mother's ancestors. Fighting fire. Laziness. Loss of arm. Fighting fire. Marriage of son. Does that mean you didn't like her daughter-in-law? I'm not actually sure. Sunstroke. (laughs) (laughs) Young lady in fear. And this might be my favorite. Masturbation for 30 years. (laughs) What? Yes, that's an actual reason for admittance. so bizarre. (laughs) Yeah, so again, just a few of my favorites. And of course, a husband could admit his wife for zero reason, except that he was tired of her and he needed a new life. New life, new wife. New wife, new life, however that you say it. Because female disease, what does that even mean, April? It means nothing. Yeah. It means, what, a grief? So what, a mother loses her child and she's grieving and then uh, now she's at the asylum? So there's that. Hmm. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, no wonder they had so many people. Yeah, no, a lot. It's catch-all for just um, moods or struggles. Yeah, and then, of course, there's the general chronic mania, which also could mean anything. And nothing. <laughs> it means everything and nothing. Yeah. There was also a massive upswing of drug addiction after the war due to narcotics being handed out by doctors to war veterans. Right. Many admissions were due to sex-related issues. They were all wacky about sex, you know, such as immoral life and nymphomania and, of course, the super evil masturbation. <laughs> the quote- I'm sure they stopped once they got there. Not necessarily. <laughs> the quote unquote cures were brutal. Males actually had their genitals cauterized. Oh my and in, God. Yeah. And in some cases were castrated. The most common method to treat women was the use of caustic chemicals to sear the genitals, hot irons for cauterization of the clitoris, or its complete removal called a clitoridectomy. I think there are still cultures that do that. There are. There absolutely are. So, but these procedures were done at the asylum. Wow. And by the end of the century, doctors turned more towards physical restraint instead of doing this stuff. Oh, well. Such as, I know. Well, they're both bad, but such as having hands tied or locked in metal mittens. That sounds fun. That's weird. They use psychological terror as well. Adolescents were Threatened with genital mutilation if ever caught masturbating. Oh, my gosh. Although physical restraints were discouraged by the doctrines of the Kirkbride plan, Mm -hmm. many patients, even those there for, quote, unquote, non-sexual related issues, 
were placed in mechanical restraints, at least on a temporary basis, but some permanently. Permanently? Permanently. Straight jackets, restrictive mittens, which locked at the wrist, straps to retain, restrain the motion of your legs, chairs to immobilize if you're being overly active, mm-hmm. and something called the Utica crib. So I'm going to tell you about the Utica crib. I'm going to post a picture of this too. So the crib was actually first used by a superintendent at a pre-Kirkbride facility, so before the later 1800s, in New York. It was a bed structure, like a child's crib with slatted sides. Mm -hmm. It was six feet long and three feet wide, covered with a lid which shut with a spring lock on the outside. The space between the person's body and the lid was barely 12 inches, so you... You had to lie flat. You could not turn over. Hmm. You would not be able to turn over. The experience was similar to being in a coffin. And many times it did become a person's coffin. Inmates who did not calm down would be left in the crib indefinitely. Some died. They would just leave you there. We're done. Bye-bye. Wow. The Utica crib was also utilized to transport particularly wild cases (laughs) over long distances so a simpler method of restraint was the bed strap which they also used for immobilizing uncontrollable patients like in their beds Mm -hmm. the use of the strap was harsh and at times could cause injuries another form of control used there was the straight waist or the straight jacket which we're all familiar with Mm -hmm. if you ever watch one horror movie in your life there's probably a fucking straight jacket in it yeah So these heavy canvas jackets had sleeves sewn shut so that they could be wrapped tightly around your back and secured. And these were used on patients who chronically stripped off their clothes all the time. Okay. Yeah. The attendants defended the use of the straitjacket as a protective measure to themselves when more often than not it was used to immobilize violent individuals who are a threat to themselves and others. So as we all know. Yeah. A lock seat would also hold the patient in a sitting position. I don't know what a lock seat looks like, but I assume you ain't getting up because you locked. Morphine was also used as a calming tool consistently. So as bad as all this sounds, there was really nowhere else for anyone to go. Mm -hmm. And there was nowhere else for families to take Mm -hmm. their family if they felt they needed some care or they needed to be if they were dangerous right especially if they were hurting themselves or others yeah sadly enough that was the case so a woman by the name of isabella brown was committed in 1880 along with nine of her relatives it was like a family affair okay what i know she was only 25 when she completed suicide by hanging herself with her bed sheet that's That's very sad there were many deaths here over the years in an 1884 issue of the Wheeling Intelligencer published, they basically talked about all the neglect going on in the asylum. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, the corpse of a patient named McCain had been left unattended overnight and rats ate off his nose and so disfigured his face that he was not recognizable. Which, there were rats there. It's horrific. Apparently. Active ones. Yeah. And his family requested his remains to be sent home, but they never did. And then they were like, oh, when they came to claim the body, the asylum was like, oh, yeah, we already buried him. Sorry. Okay. 
And so the accusation was made that it was done to hide what had happened. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. The nurses and staff had a rough time as well. They were woefully understaffed most of the time Mm -hmm. with very long days. And they had one day off a month. What? A month. So they basically just lived there. They did actually live there. That was my next sentence. (laughs) They also lived there. Wow. (laughs) So they were always there. Oh, God. What a nightmare. It sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? And there was just no way to monitor so many patients when things happen. And this is why so many things happen. The rules were clear that mechanical restraints or isolation techniques could only be used with a physician's approval. However, that's not always going to happen when you have a thousand patients and one doctor that you have to track down mm-hmm. and something's ha- going down in, in your face. Right. So that that wasn't always followed, obviously. The rusted rings to which the most violent were chained can still be seen in the isolation. I'm having a problem with the shh sound today. (laughs) Start again, April. (laughs) Massachusetts. Massachusetts. The rusted rings to which the most violent were chained can still be seen in the isolation cells on the third floor. So that's where they have Mm. held the isolation cells. Oh, whatever. That's where they were. And shells, it, <laughs> the <laughs> shells. And if you take a tour, you can see those. You oh can yeah, and see those. Things were a bit easier in 1890 for staff when electricity was installed. That's a lot of years with no electricity. Wait, and then, what year was electricity? 1890. Oh okay. And then in 1892, elevators were installed. So that was helpful to them. That seems like a really long time ago for elevators to exist, but they did. I mean, yeah. they were kind of crude compared to what we have today. Right. But they did exist. There were many suicides. I'm sure. So if you look on the ceiling, it, you could see them in the pictures. There were very sturdy pipes that ran across the ceilings. And it made it very easy to throw your bed sheet on up there and yeah. do your deed. Yeah. In 1987, a patient by the name of David M., sometimes called Big Jim, don't know why okay. that's what people call him you'll see that name in some of the writings he'd been committed for devil worship that's the only information i have i wish i knew more but i don't he actually teamed up with another patient and targeted a patient named dean dean had an intellectual disability and while he sometimes could be violent most of the time he was just very childlike He had spent the day coloring at the feet of a nurse that he liked. And David M. and another inmate managed to convince Dean to go with them to an empty room on the third floor. And once they were there, they entertained themselves by repeatedly choking him almost to death with a sheet tied to a ceiling pipe. So basically they would choke him until he passed out and then they would lower him. He would wake up and they would do it again. When they got tired of this... They placed Dean on the floor and placed the steel bed on his head and took turns jumping on the bed until the metal pierced his skull and brain. Oh, God. So this this actual room where this happened is said to be very haunted. It's actually called the bedpost room. And the ghost of Big Jim is said to be there. And he will cause flashlights to flicker and grab at people. Hmm. And people say when they go in that room, they feel like an ominous presence Hmm. there. 
So that actually happened in 1987. That is a horrific way to die, and it's very sad. So at one point, there was another patient who went missing for several days, and a foul odor brought the staff to his room. Like, yeah, again, not enough staff, too many people. They found his decomposing body stuffed under the bed. Another patient had become annoyed by his loud snoring and strangled him to death. That's why you shouldn't have too many people like that together. No. Even people who don't need care. I don't want to be that close to somebody. I might strangle someone if they're continuously snoring. I don't know. I mean, if you got nothing to lose. Yeah. You got nothing to lose. I feel like I need a drink of my drinky drink and a little spicy action. Try an apple. I can't do it right now. Why not? Oh, because you have to talk. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to talk. But wow, that is really good, though. I feel like the longer it sits, the more spicy action it gets. Mm-hmm. I think because the um, garnish is sort of like bleeding oh, into the drink. Oh, good point. It's that Thai chili. Good point. Okay, so yeah, that's very sad. Um, I don't want to be strangled for snoring ever because I probably do snore. But I don't know. I know I snore. <laughs> I probably Eric sleeps like a quiet little mouse. Does he really? Oh, that's the cutest thing ever. Yeah, but I snore. Well... As long as you're a match, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he still loves me. Yes, he does still <laughs> love you. <laughs> In the 1940s, a new patient admitted that day, attended one of the patient dances. And let me say, they had lots of activities there. They actually had plays. They had dancing. They had other stuff, um, crafts, you know. And they did have these dances that outsiders would call lunatic balls. I know it sounds so awful. Okay. And outsiders, of course, could come on these grounds at any time, which I think is so odd. And they would just come and gawk at the patients dancing. Like, what is up? That's weird. It is really weird. And I read. That's it, a weird thing to enjoy just as a per, on a personal level. I know. I agree. I agree with you. It's very odd. I mean, I'd love to go see the asylum, but I don't want to go there when there's people there. That just feels like you're in a zoo. Your yeah, your main point to be there is to. I don't know. Crazy times, man. Yeah, (laughs) just like times make fun of or that's really what it is. Feel better than I guess. Yeah. So this woman who was allegedly very beautiful, she just walked out the door, went into town and purchased several cans of lighter fluid. She returned to her room at the asylum, doused her evening gown with lighter fluids, struck a match, and burned herself to death. Holy shit. Isn't that sad? This was during one of the balls? Yeah. Wow. There were many mysterious deaths of patients. You can read about them in the book. I'm not going... There was, uh, there's way too oh, many for us to yeah. even go over. Yeah. But there's a lot. And, of course, with no investigations, and who knows how that happened, other patients, staff, you never know. Mm-hmm. Tuberculosis was also a huge problem at one point. That sucks. And a separate TB building was built to remove the sick patients from the general population. And the Spanish flu also hit them pretty hard in 1918. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff happened. Rapes were also common. And several female employees were raped. One evening, and I couldn't find the exact year of this, but a nurse went missing and her rotting body was found two months later at the bottom of an unused staircase. Oh, God. Yeah. So you can probably say that either another staff did it or a patient did it. Right. Who knows? 
So, yeah, we don't even know a fraction of what really went on there with regards to sexual assault. I'm sure it was way more than we even know. Oh, yeah. In the fall of 1899, the superintendent, W.E. Strathers, was brought up on charges of sexual misconduct towards patients. But patients, oh, my God. But he was acquitted. However, he was forced to resign. It doesn't surprise me that he's acquitted because I feel like people don't take that seriously. Yeah. But he actually would like come into a patient's bed in the middle of the night and ask them her to be his little pet. What a creep. Creep, creep, creep. There were many babies born there. Well, it doesn't wonder why. Co-ed facility. And many times those babies never left. If the mother could not care for the baby, they were placed in a smaller ward where like so-called docile patients would care for them at 12 they would be placed with the general population what so yeah there's that that's weird very also many appalachian communities were completely isolated Mm -hmm. from the modern world there was very little formal education available inbreeding right was happening yes it was common and also contributed to the child population at the asylum Okay. The fact that they even had children there boggled me when I was reading this. Yeah, I was why like, would wow. they keep them there? Yeah. It was it they had kind of an orphanage of sorts in the basement somewhere. They're like, "Well, if you want us to be an independent city, we can do that." Well, by 1900, so we'll all ever leave. I know. By the 1900 by 1900 there was well over 1000 patients. That's way too many. That's way too many. For 250 beds. This is also around the time that hydrotherapy was introduced as the newest, most effective treatment for mental illness. So can you guess what that is? I know you've seen pictures of it. A bath. It is. And you know the baths where like the people are all covered and all you see is their little heads sticking up? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it looks like. I would do that. I like some hydrotherapy. I have a hot tub. Okay. So this process placed the subject in a hammock. Suspended in a bathtub with a canvas sheet secured across the top and only the head emerging from the rim. Okay. Patients might stay in the tub for hours or even days. You want to do that, April? That's a negative. That's a negative. Sometimes with bandages around their eyes and ears. So they would have be completely cut off Mm. from, yeah, I mean, sensory deprivation, basically. Yeah. Doctors believe that the bath induced fatigue. Well, yeah, if I'm sitting in a fucking bath for two days, I will tell you right now, doctors, I will be fatigued. Yeah. I'll be very fatigued. And they said they thought that it calmed overly excited patients without hurting the mind. I mean, sometimes people with anxiety or panic attacks use like cold showers. But for days? No, not for days. <laughs> I think that's the part that's... Yeah, no. And also if you don't want to. And not the eyes and ears covered. And if you're doing it without wanting to do it. Right. It's not your choice. It seems like none of these things are their choice. No. It's not even their choice to be there. Yeah. So this hydrotherapy would have a purging effect by slowing the circulatory system. That was their belief. There was also something called wet pack. That required dipping sheets or blankets in cold or warm water and wrapping them tightly around naked patients, basically restricting their ability to move anything but their heads, fingers, and toes. And sometimes they were left for hours or even days like that. And as the sheet dried, they would actually shrink tightly around 
the person Mm -hmm. and make them retain body heat. And people would complain about feeling as if they were suffocating. You think? You're literally mummified. It sounds, my claustrophobic self, It that sounds horrific to me. I just think that I would die. instead of doing all this extra shit, they could have just fed and cared for the people that were there. And they probably would have spent a lot less time doing that. Maybe. Then all but people were acting out. They had to do something. Sh- I know. <laughs> it's. So doctors at the asylum considered the wet pack a beneficial treatment for restlessness. Okay. You can't be restless if you're wrapped like a mummy. Yeah. I don't get it. Also, lobotomies. Oh, God, lobotomies. Yeah, lobotomies with the get there. infamous ice pick were, of course, oh, utilized. God. So Walter Freeman was the quote-unquote foremost expert on lobotomies. I didn't know much about this guy. Have you heard of him? Mm-mm. Sure, there's whole books on him somewhere. I don't know. Go find them. But he was also responsible for performing a lobotomy with his colleague, Dr. Watts, on JFK's sister, Rosemary, Hmm. when she was 23. She was so disabled, she couldn't speak intelligibly, which neither can I today. And (laughs) she needed to be institutionalized for the rest of her life. After the lobotomy? Yes. It was terrible. Apparently, she had violent mood swings and seizures, so that's why she needed a lobotomy. Her father set this up, and I did a little reading on this, and I guess that her her brothers, her family didn't even know that this had happened. They, they just thought that she just was a recluse or something. So it was kind of a family secret for a lot of years, hmm. which I found interesting. So in 1948, Edward F. Reeser was who was a friend and former colleague of Freeman's had become director in the state mental health or state mental system of West Virginia. So they had limited funds, inadequate facilities. Of course, we know they were overcrowded mm-hmm. and he was basically at his wits end. So he said, Freeman, my man, come on down to West Virginia. We need you hmm. bring your ice pick. Hmm. <laughs> Don't forget it. So Freeman was like, this sounds like a great opportunity. I'm going to head on down to Weston. Okay. Freeman used both the new medical building on the third and the third floor of the TB ward to do his business. Okay. By 1952, he had performed 787 lobotomies. Oh, my God. Including 225 in a 12-day period. Oh, my God. That's so many. He basically was just cramming this thing up anyone's head he could find. He was just ice picking everybody. It's like boom, 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 boom. Yep. West Virginia's per capita rate of lobotomy was the highest in the nation. I bet. Probably by many times. Yes. uh, Freeman went actually all across the state in his van. He (laughs) dubbed the Lobotomobile. Oh, God. Offering his service. I mean, what the hell? I, I, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yes. The Lobotomobile. The Lobotomobile. When the campaign was over, Freeman boasted that one in ten of the West Virginia's mental cases were lobotomized. He boasted about this. However, Freeman's partner and co-lobotomist, Dr. Watt, that actually helped with um, Rosemary Kennedy, mm-hmm. he was actually pretty horrified by this. He was appalled at Freeman's lack of concern for basic hygiene. 
Freeman loved pictures of himself, also his huge ego. He loved pictures of himself performing, and once, while turning to pose, whilst performing a lobotomy, his ice pick snapped in half, leaving a piece in a woman's head. (laughs) Okay. Your face is, yeah, no, it's... What? Yeah. I know. So he was... I mean... I hate to say it, but he should have been in the mental asylum himself. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. I feel like your ego lands you there. He way too much um, power and control there. Also, he didn't like to wash his hands. He didn't care about sterilization. He didn't care about bacteria. So he never washed his trusty ice pick. He actually kept it in the pocket of his pants to use at any moment's notice. So you could just be walking past him in the hallway and he'd just get you. He'd just be walking past me like, bah! <laughs> <laughs> What the heck? He's like, 789. <laughs> yeah, that was Freeman. That's so weird. Isn't that crazy? So by the 1950s, the trans-Allegheny patient population was over 2,500 people. Okay, guys. <laughs> You're 10 much. times your limit. Yeah, this place was built for 250 people. So those open aired hallway like rooms and everything crammed with beds, Uh, just crammed with beds. But the 50s also brought about the development of many new antipsychotic drugs. So this is where we start seeing that. In 1954, and I'm going to butcher these names, chlorpromazine was introduced into the U.S. under the name of Thorazine. I feel like I've heard of Thorazine. Mm -hmm. So Thorazine affected the subject's brain function by reducing delusions and hallucinations, Mm -hmm. and it drastically decreased threatening behavior. By the mid-1960s, these drugs were routinely prescribed and taken on a daily basis. So we were seeing some advancements, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that sense. You know, the 60s were a time. Things were happening. Shaking, grooving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Free love and all that. And antipsychotics. Yeah. Yeah. As the new psychiatric methods and developments in pharmaceuticals took hold, the populations of the institutionalized insane began to decline nationwide. The patient count, which stood at over 2,500 in the early 1960s, fell to under 2,000 by the end of the decade, and then by 1980, there were less than 1,000. Because then those people could be put on medication and released. Right. To live normal lives. Yes. Right. By 1990, only a few hundred were there, mostly for rehabilitation from chronic alcohol and drug abuse, that sort of thing. In 1987, the Weston Hospital, as it was now called, was officially closed. The Weston State Hospital. Hmm. So... The asylum had three cemeteries. Actually, that's wrong. It did not close in 1987. It closed in 1994. Oh. So I'm not sure why I wrote 1987, but it's 1994, people. So, you know, listen to me, but not always. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to me, but don't listen to me. Listen to me, but don't listen to me. So the asylum had three cemeteries. Between 1864 and 1994... About 20,000 people died there. Holy cow. That's a shit ton of people. 20,000 people? 20,000. So many were wards of the state whose remains went unclaimed. Oh, yeah. Their bodies, it's basically a murder factory. It is. Their bodies were placed in crude coffins with their vital statistics enclosed in glass jars. 
So they would put their name and everything in these little glass jars and then bury the jars with them. Do those remain? I don't know. We haven't dug them up to find out. Hmm. But that's a very good question. So they were buried without ceremony. There were no names to identify them, only numbers carved on the rows of concrete markers in the hills behind the asylum. Now, in later years, the cemeteries became overcrowded, and basically they were just stacking people one on top of the other. Yeah, it's a lot of fucking people. Yeah, after the Department of Health and Welfare took over the abandoned asylum in 1994, their maintenance crew, to make it easier to mow the grass, pulled up all the markers and dumped them off to the sides where one by one they disappeared. And I want to say something, because <laughs> I feel very strongly about this. I've seen this happen in other cemeteries, too. This is like a thing, like, oh, we need to mow. I don't fucking care if you need to mow, okay? I want a headstone. You buzz around that and move on with yeah. your little buzzy buzz. Yeah. So that's what happened here. And they didn't even put plaques. I mean, now there's all these places where you can put plaques in the ground because now we can mow over your plaque and blah, blah, blah. They didn't even put plaques in the ground. They just pulled them up and there was just nothing. So there's very few headstones left hmm. in these cemeteries. And they're just basically big fields. It's really sad. That's very sad. It's very, very sad. So, um, I just wanted to like publicly say that I really hate this whole headstone mowing issue. Yeah. It's a thing that bothers me. <laughs> Probably no one's ever thought of this, but listen. I never would think that a headstone, that there would be a mowing issue. There is, because I guess, you know, it. but who cares? These are people's mow in between. You're a fucking mowing guy at a cemetery. Yeah. You know that there are headstones here. That's the whole reason for the place. Yeah. And, you know, the other day I told Jason... I want to buy my plot and I want my headstone up now. You know, you can have your name and then you have, you know, your date and then mm-hmm. slash nothingness. Yeah. I really want to see where I'm going to be mar- buried before I die. It's like really important to me all of a sudden. You should do it. Well, he just said, okay. Uh, <laughs> he's like, That's crazy. all I got from him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, he's like, I'm not going to argue with you. Go ahead and do it. I'm going to do it. It's happening. Okay. I mean, I think you definitely still have plenty more years to figure that out. You know what? You never know. But you never know. Trans-Allegheny is allegedly one of the 10 most haunted places in America. Oh, that's cool. Which doesn't surprise me. So Troy, Ron and Don, which I know I'm probably misspelling your name, Troy, sorry, who wrote the article that I talked about in the Mm -hmm. beginning, he is actually a self-professed skeptic, and he did spend a night there in 2019 for one of the ghost hunter tours. Because oh. you can actually go there and stay all night long. Um, would never do that. I but okay. What? April, who's going to be my sidekick? I'm no, doing no, no. this. I'll be at a hotel. I'll come pick you up. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to have to find someone who's going to do this. <laughs> Hello, who, who out there is going to do yeah, this? Yeah, someone me? creepy needs to sign Hello. up for that. <laughs> I would do it. He said that even he was affected by it. He didn't spot any ghosts per se, but he did see movement in the shadows and heard noises. And he was aware of the scent of old cigarette smoke. Oh, no. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Very interesting. No, thank huh? you. Big Jim, the bedpost killer we talked about, is there. There's also a ghost named Lily, who's a playful childlike ghost. There's also a ward called the Civil War Ward, where I think they took a lot. Probably... Um, there, one of the things when people were admitted, it just said war. It probably was more like post-traumatic stress syndrome right. that we have today. Yeah. They just didn't have that word. 
Um, so they had a civil war ward and it's known to have a very severe effect on women in their twenties who walk through there. There's also a teen ward, which I didn't really know about where apparently a teenager was murdered with a toothbrush shank in a bathroom. Hmm. So yeah, the fourth floor, which is the rehab ward is where most of the activity is documented. People have said they smell horses which makes sense because horses were actually housed in some of the lower floor rooms. Mm-hmm. People have been grabbed, scratched, had their hair pulled, and seen moving shadows and orbs. There have been captures of EVP, which is electronic voice phenomena, where voices are clearly heard. So you can't hear them with your own ears, but mm-hmm. you can on here. Voices have been heard on EVP saying, get out now. Is that George? Help. Among other things. So creepy. Who's George? I don't know, George. Who are you? (laughs) Looks like they're open for tours again. Just recently, they opened in April again. Oh, yeah. I saw their big COVID notice on the. Yeah. So also Sherry Brake, who wrote the book, she does the overnight ghost hunting tours. But those are still on hold because of COVID. I would totally do it. Sherry, I'm coming at you. Get ready. (laughs) But, oh, my gosh, you know what else she has that I saw? She actually has a ghost tour in Ireland for 10 days. What? So you go to all these different places. It looks amazing. Sherry, you're like my hero. Can That's I so please spooky. come be with you? Because <laughs> it sounds amazing. And interview for the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Sherry, will you come, will you come talk with us? Because I would <laughs> absolutely love it. I would love to hear about that tour in Ireland. It sounds amazing. So that's just a very small part of the history and hauntings of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Interesting, no? That was a good one. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was much less blood-curdling. <laughs> Except one. the bedpost. That one makes me really sad. Yeah, and the lobotomobile. And the lobotomobile. Okay, I just got to say, when you said lobotomobile, the first thing I thought was, that is a really good, like, sign in password for something that no one would ever fucking guess <laughs> do, would you no ever would think lobotomobile would be someone's password to their like email account they or will their now bank. <laughs> hey but you're right that is a great one because who would ever think no one that? would ever think of that yeah freeman what's up freeman what a fucking weirdo yeah and i'll post a picture of the ice pick it literally is just an ice pick you're basically just shoving it between their eye, like basically in their tear duct is where it's going. I don't even get it. What? And that's like frontal lobe? Yeah. And it just. Which we're kills waiting it? years for kids to get their frontal lobe and then you just want to like ice pick it out of them. But they think that's where all your emotion is and your decision making. And so that if we. The theory was, and you know, don't quote me because I don't have this written down, but mm-hmm. from what I read, the theory was is that you were cutting. Um, that, but then your brain would make new pathways and it was supposed to help you. And then they have all these old timey pictures of like, here's her before and here's her after. And look how dressed up and nice she looks now. La 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 la. You know, but before she looked all crazed, you know? So it was Mm. a thing. I wonder if it actually worked for anybody. No. Not a single person. I will not say that. that, That's not. No. Hmm. I'm saying no. 
Fuck. Especially that one he broke off in her head. Yeah, what the fuck? I don't even want to know how he got that out. It's very upsetting. He probably didn't. He probably didn't. I don't know. It just is there. <laughs> he probably didn't. It just is still there. It's terrible. She's buried in the cemetery with the thing in her head. He pro- She probably is. And that is just She her. probably died from an infection from it. Well. Because he didn't wash his fucking hands. And you know, we still hear stories about state hospitals and those st- sorts of things. I don't know. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I, that's a stupid statement, but sometimes it's true. Well, I mean, at least now um, you can't just commit people for no reason. Yeah, you're not You're not going to say she's got female disease. <laughs> right. You're not going to say he has a real problem with masturbation. For 30 years. For 30 years. And we're dropping him off. We're disgusted. Take and him. you can't just drop your eight-year-old off. At the train station. No. So that's, those are some good things that have happened. Yeah. People are less, there's more responsibility for the state hospital to decide who's supposed to be there and who's not. Correct. And I do believe, at least in California, most of the state hospitals are filled with people who have actually committed crimes. The forensic sides. And yeah. have a mental illness that makes them incompetent to stand trial. Right. Yes. So it's not just random people that have issues that should be seeing like a psychiatrist or a doctor. Right. They don't just have grief. Exactly. Yeah. Though I did tour and I know that sounds terrible. I don't know if I like that word tour, but it was part of my job. I did go to Napa state hospital on both the forensic side and the other side. Mm. Um, It was quite an experience. It did stay with me for a long time. It was, it was very interesting Hmm. and kind of sad. I mean, I would think that they're pretty heavily medicated. Maybe a lot are. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it was it was a rough experience. So yeah. So anyway, that's our. <laughs> that's our episode. Thank you for this beautiful cocktail, April. Thanks for listening. Yeah, um, thank you so much. You want to tell them where to find us? Yeah, you can email us at killerspiritspod at gmail.com. We also mm-hmm. have uh, some new merch out on our Etsy shop. <gasps> that's right. So search for Killer Spirits Pod uh on etsy we have and some t-shirts up now. yeah and um the apron is so cute the apron's so cute and the mug and the mug is so cute and i also put a travel mug up oh yes i and want that and what else t-shirts oh the baseball shirt oh yeah they're all, it's all so cute. cute guys um so go check us out on etsy and uh, also we're on tiktok at killer spirits pod and we're on instagram at killer spirits pod where you can find pictures from the episode and drink pictures yeah and go rate and review because we love to rate and to review and if you make our cocktail let us know yes definitely tag us because i want to see everyone's cocktail yes go make this cute little spicy one today oh it's spicy <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys thanks bye, bye.